Good to see everybody this morning. Good to be here. It's wonderful to come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ for the opportunity to worship the Lord and especially to enjoy the promise that when two or three are gathered in my name, the Lord is there with us. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today, as I hopefully can bring you a message of encouragement about the Lord's presence being with us. Uh, we face a lot of difficulties in life, and they come from various sources. Uh, we're going to talk about a few different ways that the world and difficulties can try us, uh, and yet in each of those instances, we are given the assurance that God is not abandoning us. He is not leaving us to our own devices. Uh, he is there with us through it all. And the focus of this verse, uh, is, or the lesson this morning, is this: there's another in the fire. And the idea for this uh, lesson comes from a song, uh, which is popular on contemporary radio, Christian radio right now, if you're listening to it. Uh, it was originally done by Hillsong United, but it's called There's Another in the Fire. And it's so popular that it's actually been remade now, so there's another version of it that's also still out on the radio. Uh, so apparently it's a popular theme. But the chorus of it goes, there's another in the fire standing next to me. There's another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding what power set me free, there is a grave that holds no body. And now that power lives in me. And so what I want us to do today is kind of look at a few different uh, case studies, I guess, if you will. We'll take a few specific instances out of the scriptures and use them just as samples of the way that God has promised that he will be with us and that reassurance that he would like to give us. So to start with, if you would, uh, you can go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 3. The first story that we're going to look at is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And some of y'all may be familiar with this. It's a popular story uh, for children that we'd like to share with them. Uh, but for background, so we remember this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three young Israelite men that had been taken captive when Israel was taken over, uh, and they were taken off into uh, captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And so as they are there, uh, they were taken and they were trained to be servants, basically, but upper-level servants, you know, within uh, the leadership of the king's palace itself. And so they were being trained in the ways of state leadership and the things that they needed to be able to do to serve in that kind of a capacity. Well, this is going pretty well for them because they were you know, pretty well gifted and the Lord was with them and taking care of them. Uh, but at one point, King Nebuchadnezzar gets this idea that he wants to build a great golden idol. And he's going to build the idol and he's going to make this be the God that all of the people have to worship. And so he goes out and he creates this giant golden idol and sets it up out on the plains and brings all the people in and says, when you hear the trumpets and the musical instruments play, you're required to bow down and worship this idol because this is going to be your God. Well, obviously, the true followers of the Lord can't obey that command and they say, no, we cannot do that. And so when they happens, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they do not bow. They do not take the knee before the idol that the king has commanded them to follow. Well, this uh, comes to the king's attention, of course, and it says that he has a reaction, which is probably familiar about that. 
verse 13, Daniel 3, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready, you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So the consequences and the situation is laid out pretty blatantly right in front of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar brings them in here and he says, look, I'm telling you exactly to your face what you have to do. You have to follow this way that I've told you to follow. You have to worship this thing that I've told you to worship. You have to value the thing I've told you to value. And if you don't bow the knee, you are going to be thrown into this furnace. There's no qualifications, no maybes, if ands, no trials. We're going to see what happens later. It's going to happen. Well, he even challenges them. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And we're going to face these types of situations. Sometimes the, la- the world is going to come to you and they're going to say, look, here it is. You're going to have to follow the world's plans. And if you don't follow the worldly plans, you're going to face consequences. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have it laid out for them as well. But they don't fall down before that. They don't uh, shy away from that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So they're called to take a stand. They're put in a position where they have to decide and stand up to the worldly authorities and tell them to their face, we cannot do that. We cannot do these things which you are calling us to do. These are against the word of God, and we will not comply. Even knowing what the consequences are going to be, even knowing the penalties that they may be facing. So King Nebuchadnezzar, of course, is furious about this. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. Because remember, they had been among the uh, people that were doing well in the training that they'd been receiving. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Well, normally that'd be the end of it, wouldn't it? You know, and that might have been. In some cases, you say, hey, you're going to face the penalties, and if that's what we have to do in order to take the Lord's word, that's what we're willing to do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were prepared to go to death to stand up for what the Lord's word required of them. But the Lord wasn't done with that. The Lord had another act to do. And so once these three men were thrown into the fire... Suddenly, instead of being burned up, even though it was so hot that it killed the people that threw them into it, even though the servants of the king themselves had succumbed to the powers of the flame, King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and realizes 
there's something else going on here. These men are not being consumed by the flames. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. We count, yes, there were three. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So there's a lot that has been said on this particular passage, and I'm not going to get into the details of the theology behind it, but clearly the fourth presence there in the fire was God's presence with them. And he was there to deliver them and to keep them safe, even in the midst of the king's attempted punishment upon them. So I want us to look real quick at what some general lessons that we can learn from this particular case. And... This lesson of the idea of the fire is used as a metaphor throughout Scripture for trials and for testings, and specifically for things that refine and strengthen our faith. So when we look at the story of the furnace, there are some lessons that we can learn from it. There's going to be times when what we are called to do by God, what God's commands and law requires of us, is going to be at odds with the things that this world tries to demand of us. And we need to be prepared for that. We need to understand that we are following the commands of the Lord and those take priority over whatever the world may be giving us. And we will face persecution and we will face punishment for following God's commands instead of the world's decisions. So we need to be prepared that those things are going to happen. Jesus does not say, hey, if you follow me, everything's going to be going smooth and perfectly. Nobody's ever going to hate you. In fact, he said exactly the opposite of that. He said, they hated me first. They're going to hate you if you're my followers. But that happens, and we need to be prepared for that. But even in the midst of the persecution, we need to remember that God does not abandon us. And Jesus promised us that he would be with us even in the midst of these persecutions, even in the midst of the trials and punishments that the world tries to throw at us for disobeying the world's world's commands. We need to understand that God is still with us in the middle of the fire. God is with us, even in the midst of the persecutions and penalties that this world can throw at us. And there's nothing that this world can throw at us that is going to ever be able to take us from God's power and take us from his hand. The worst the world can do is it can take our life, but God holds our soul. So then I want us to look at another story. And there's another story in the New Testament, and this is the story of Jesus walking on the water, which again is again a familiar one, I think, to a lot of us. And this is actually told in three gospel accounts. We have the account in Mark 6, as well as John chapter 6, and also in in the book of Matthew. Um, But I want us to look at kind of the, the story on both of these as well. Each one's a little bit different. Mark 6 says that later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, And he was alone on the land, Jesus. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because all they saw, they saw him and they were all terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. This took place just after the feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes. 
John chapter 6 tells the story in a similar way. It says, when evening came, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, went down to the lake where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching them, approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So Mark and John tell the story of Jesus walking on the water, and that's amazing enough as it is. You can imagine being in that boat in the middle of the night, fighting the headwinds, rowing, trying to go through these choppy, stormy seas, trying to get across the lake. And, you know, imagine how this is, because this isn't like in modern day, where you've got electric lights and lighthouses and things like that, or GPS even to tell your way. You know, you're out there in the middle of water as far as you can see, no guiding lights on the shores, and you're just trying to make your way against this struggle. And yet this mysterious figure shows up in the middle of this dark and scary situation. And it turns out it's not something to be feared at all. It is, in fact, the Lord being with them, even in that circumstance. But I want us to look at the other version uh, that is told about this, because Matthew gives us a few additional details that talks about. And in Matthew, he tells us a story about Peter specifically, and something that Peter does when Jesus walks on the water. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And Matthew 14 tells us a little different. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were with him worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I think it's important to talk a little bit about Peter's story here as well. And I'm not going to bash on Peter in this instance at all. I know some people are like, oh, poor, you know, Peter got out there and he doubted. Peter got out of the boat. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to give props to Peter for that one. There are going to be times when we are called to go into strange, unusual situations. When the ministry taking God's gospel out to the world around us calls off calls on us to go to uncomfortable and situations, places that we have not encountered before, to interact with people that we haven't uh, been comfortable with before, to get out of our comfort zone. And this is the ultimate example of it. Here in the middle of the dark, in the middle of this storm and these waves, there's Jesus standing there. And he says, hey, come out in the water. And Peter says, you know what? Because you say so, I will. And he does. And because Jesus is there... He's able to walk out to him on the water as well. And I think that that's an important lesson for all of us to remember, that we can learn a lesson from the water as well. There are going to be times when God calls to us and says, hey, I need you to go do some stuff that you're not used to doing. Step out into a new place. Step into a new situation you've never dealt with before. Something that looks impossible to you. And then remember that I'm calling you to it. See, the water, and this is another one of those things, you know, the fire or the water, these could be used as a whole sermon series on their own, I'm sure, but 
The, the metaphor of the water is used to represent the unknown throughout Scripture as well. And specifically death, a lot of times it's used for that as well. Crossing over the water becomes symbolic of passing through death uh, or into the unknown. We see that with the Israelites uh, when they cross the Red Sea, when they cross the Jordan back into the, the Canaan in the Promised Land. Uh, you've got stories like Noah and Jonah that deal with the sea and the, the, the challenges that it represents. So throughout Scripture, the water is this symbolism of fear and the unknown and, and the things that we as human beings aren't familiar with. But God says, I created that. I'm in control even of the seas. And even in the midst of the fears and the unknowns, there's an opportunity for you to be of service to me. And so we need to remember, and the lesson we can learn from Peter here on the water, is that even when God is calling us into opportunities and things that look scary, that look foreign and and unfamiliar to us, and we, we can't see ourselves how we can possibly get through them or how we can further God's kingdom in the way that he's placed that he's calling us to do or the people he's calling us to interact with, we need to remember that God is there with us. And with God being with us, all things are possible. Through him, all things are possible. And so we need to take those opportunities when God calls us, even if it's scary, even if it's a little out of our comfort zone or a lot out of our comfort zone, we need to see those as the opportunities that God has called us to, to hopefully inspire not just ourselves, but inspire and spread God's kingdom and take God's message in a way that it may never have otherwise been otherwise uh, been able to be presented to somebody before. And remember the result when the other disciples saw uh, Peter having that courage and then Jesus stepping with him into the boat, how they recognized God being with them in that presence. They recognized that surely Jesus was the Son of God because of Peter having the courage in the midst of those fears. One last story that I want us to look at as far as an an instance of God's presence and how he uh, continues to be with us even during difficult times. I'm going to look at Luke chapter 22, and you can turn to this passage if you want to read along with us. This is a story where Jesus is on the night of his persecution, on the night of his betrayal and his crucifixion. He has gone out to the Mount of Olives to pray. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus was in about as much emotional, spiritual torment on that night as any being could ever imagine being. And it's clearly portrayed here in the way that Scripture portrays his suffering. And if you remember the rest of that story, Jesus goes back to his disciples and finds them sleeping on multiple occasions. He wakes them up, says, please pray with me. Goes back, and each time he finds them sleeping. Jesus, on that occasion, was about as alone as a person could be. Even his closest friends could not stay watch with him during that time, even though he was under such complete torment and anguish. He knew what was about to happen to him. He knew that it was going to require his sacrifice in order for God's work of salvation to be completed. 
And he was begging the father if there was any way for it to be passed by him that it might be. And But yet, he knew that if it had to be, the Lord's will would be done. And so he was prepared to go not only to the garden, but to the cross itself and to face that ultimate sacrifice. There's going to be times in our lives when we feel like we are completely alone. When we feel like our friends have abandoned us, when we feel like all of our doors have closed to us, that everything seems like it's been cut off from us, and we don't know who else is with us. But Jesus has been there. Jesus went through that time too. And he showed us that even in that time period, God is still with us. We do not ever have to feel alone or abandoned because God is with us even in the times like in the darkness of the garden. See, God knows what it, like, what it is to feel alone and abandoned and betrayed. There's never going to be anything that the world can do to us. There's never going to be anything that we can go through that the Lord does not relate to and does not realize that we can get us, that he can get us through. God was rejected and abandoned by us, but he still went to the cross for us. The lesson that I want us to understand from this third story is that God is with us even when it seems like no one else is. Even when our friends, even when our family have abandoned us, even when we are as alone as we can think we can possibly be, remember that God is still with us, and he will take us through that garden. It may require our sacrifice. It may require us being prepared to be dedicated to that. But God is there with us, and he will get us through it and bring us through on the other side. I hope that we will remember what God went through for us. And the things that Jesus went through there in that garden is just the tip of the iceberg as far as what he faced going through the sacrifice that he ultimately made on the cross. We're told in Philippians chapter 2, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider it equality with God, something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Think about that. Think about what Jesus did. And, you know, we think about the cross, and we think about the sacrifice that he made, but it was a sacrifice even just for Jesus to come to earth in the first place. Here is someone who is God himself, who is there in the throne of heaven, there in the glory of heaven with angels around them and and the praise and the glory and no suffering and no pain and the eternity of glory that is there in heaven and being with God in God's presence. And he gave that up to come to earth, to become a human being, to face fatigue, to face loneliness, to face hunger and thirst, and to face all of these things on an ongoing basis, all the troubles and trials and, and difficulties that we face as human beings, he faced that. And he went through all of that. And even to the very end, he stayed faithful because he knew that that was what had to be done in order for us to be saved, even though we had rejected him. So whenever we get to be thinking about the difficulties that we're facing in life, whether it's persecutions and trials that the life is going to throw at us, whether it's challenges that God calls us to for opportunities for his kingdom, 
or whether it's betrayals or abandonment or things that we feel in this world, if we feel like we are alone, we need to remember that we are not alone and that God is with us. He has blessed us in so many ways, and one of the greatest blessings is his constant abiding presence. God does not ask us to face anything, persecution, fear, loss, even death, that he has not already endured for our sakes. So as we conclude our lesson today, let's think about that and let's take this message with us. I hope it's been a message of encouragement to remember that whenever you face difficulties in life, whatever they may be, know that God has seen them. He sees you and he's with you through them. And he wants you to reach out to him, look to him to be and recognize his presence during the times and struggles that you're facing. And if you see others going through trials and struggles as well, take the opportunity to reach out to them. You can be God's presence in somebody else's life as well. You reach out to them and give them the encouragement to let them know that they're not alone. Because that is one of the ways that God has just incredibly blessed us. And I hope we will always hold on to that as we think. As we prepare for the final song, let's keep this in mind. Remember the blessings and sacrifices that God has made for us. And if you have the opportunity, if you need at this time to come forward and put on the Lord in baptism, you have that opportunity. Uh, Otherwise, if there's anything else that we can help you with, any encouragement that we can offer, that's what we're here for. That's what the Lord is here for. Uh, Please do not hesitate to come forward as we stand and sing.